I am releasing this podcast episode on Friday, March 20th, 2020. I mentioned that because we are in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, and I want to put this podcast into perspective. You're about to listen to Meet Mediocrity, Episode 9. In this episode, you'll hear a conversation between me and my friend Dan Flanzig, better known as the New York Bike Lawyer. However, this conversation is not about bicycle laws. It's not about traffic laws. It's about one man's journey, real-life challenges, successes, and failures with wellness. It's not about coronavirus. It's not about health scares. It's a good, fun, light conversation between two people who are continuing down their life journeys and their wellness journeys. Let's get started. Hello, hello. This is your host, Mediocre Mitch, and welcome to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Episode 9. Given the world today in which we're living through a coronavirus crisis, I'm hoping that our Meet Mediocrity community is a small, a very small, source of fun, encouragement, and maybe a little distraction from everything that's going on around us. Selfishly, I can tell you it's helping me. And I did think about stopping the podcast and social media postings out of respect to this global crisis. And I've gotten a number of people reach out to me and say, please keep going. We enjoy the distraction. So I'm good with that. And I'm well aware that circumstances are changing daily. So if I need to stop or alter my approach, I'm totally open to doing that as and when needed. Today's conversation is with Dan Flanzig, the New York bike lawyer. That's what he calls himself. And that's what he is to a lot of people. This conversation was recorded right before the coronavirus situation went mainstream here in the United States. I'm deciding to release it today because it's a great non-virus-related conversation. It's about a life journey. Dan was a self-proclaimed fatty. His word, not mine. He channeled positivity through his obese self in college to become an active, athletic guy who still has his struggles, he still has his mediocre moments, but he keeps on trying too. Dan also has the admirable benefit of tying his passion for cycling and running into his job as a personal injury attorney. But don't let me spoil the conversation. Let's hear Dan talk about it firsthand. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Dan Flanzig, the New York bike lawyer. So Dan, thanks for coming. Uh, Mitch, I'm super excited to be here. I'm really glad to do this with you. Well, we have a lot to cover. So um, Dan, we've been friends for a few years now and, you know, we met on the bicycle. We did. And I wanted to cover a few things. First, I wanted to cover, you know, Dan, you're, you're, Kind of my size. So what are you around? Six foot, about two something. Yeah, six three, 
202, 203. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're actually you seem to be in the Mitch mode of, of size and weight. So um but we had a conversation a while ago about uh, you used to be a real fatty in high school and college. I was. I was and you managed you managed to change yourself and and you, you haven't been a fatty as long as I've known you. So tell me a little bit about that journey, Dan. Sure. Um, you know, most of my adolescence, most of my high school and through college, I was I peaked out of college my junior year, end of my junior year at almost three hundred pounds. Really? Um, so that was my life for the first part of my life. I've always was heavy. I was always the fat kid. Um, it was how I knew myself. It's how I carried myself. It was the image I have of myself back then, to be honest with you. It's still an image that's burned in the back of my head um, that I still deal with today, reminding myself that I am not that fat kid that I was um, in my 20s and in my teens. Um, and my weight is something that I deal with on a daily basis. And, and I don't want to use the word struggle with, but it's definitely in the back of my head. It's part of my process. My food choices are something I think about every single meal. Um, I have the guilt, like everybody else, when I eat the things I shouldn't be eating. Um, and it's a continuing work for me. So, Dan, the, 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 was it a, what, what, what kind of life event or what kind of a mental event made you change from someone who ate whatever you wanted and was a 300-pound kid to someone who was able to get it together? Like, what, what triggered the change? Yeah, it's a, a great question. <clears throat> you know, what I remember my time in college, especially um, from my senior year of uh, high school to my freshman year of college, I would lose weight over the summer. I would come back to school. I mean, freshman 15 was nothing. I'm talking freshman 50, freshman 75. Um, I would finish up the year. I'd go back home. I'd try to get myself back together, lose the weight. And talking about maybe 50, 70-pound weight gains and losses here. Um, Which isn't I, healthy at all. No, not at all. And made it more difficult, I think, every time to lose the weight. Um, and I still remember coming back to college after my junior, beginning my senior year of college, coming back in pretty good shape, being pretty thin. And... The event, is, and I still remember, is I went to, we had a uh, fraternity barbecue, and I remember eating 13 hamburgers. And I remember <laughs> the number. I truly remember that number, Mitch. Um, and I remember waking up the next day and saying, like, I don't want to go down this road again. Um, and I was really able, something clicked. And something clicked that I was going to take responsibility for myself, and I was going to take responsibility um, for my food choices. And I'll tell you, even academically, I, it was the best year I ever had academically. Something wow. just kind of clicked. It is something I always tell parents. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer, and if you would have looked at my my grades in high school and my first you know year or two of college, you would think I'd be in prison. Um, so <laughs> I'm laughing, Dan, because I haven't gone down that path on this podcast, but I'm in a similar situation as you. So that's interesting. So, but but the weight, getting your weight under control, in yeah. fact. Helped you get your life under control, it sounds like. Um, yeah, you're right. And, you know, I think it was just something maturity that kind of clicked. And I tell parents all the time, you know, there's nothing that I can tell you objectively that my parents did, like many parents try to help their kids or find that secret sauce. Um, it just comes. And at some point in your life, you take control over your own life and your own choices because there are repercussions if you don't. Right. So now, did you, you said something clicked. So this wasn't, you know, signing up for Weight Watchers or a specific program, was it? it? I had worked with somebody over the summer. Back then, there was some type of psychologist slash um, food guru, for yep. lack of a better word. Um, I don't think that was 
the answer. I think that's kind of getting weighed maybe helped me lose the weight over, you know, getting weighed every week helped me lose the weight over the summers. But no, that wasn't it. Um, it was a lot of activity because when you are 20 years old, you can run off the weight. You can. Yeah. Um, by the way, by the way, in your 50s, you can't. <laughs> I can tell can't. you I've tried. It doesn't work. You have to watch what you eat. Yes. For sure. But back then, you could, I could eat, you know, eat like crap on a weekend and go for, you know, and eat well Monday through Friday and get away with it. Yeah, it doesn't work anymore. Um, so I don't think it was specifically um, any food program. It was really the activity, and I started running a lot. Um, I'd finish up studying, which is something I never did beforehand, um, and go for a run at like 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. Around, I was at Rutgers and yep. run around New Brunswick, you know, at, uh, in, in the middle of the night. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So so let's fast forward. Um, so I, I met you probably four or five years ago, and um, you're a pretty fit guy. So we were cycling together. We've We've run together. Um, we've done races together. We've done races together. In fact, um, you always beat me, but that's okay <laughs> because mediocrity is okay, apparently. <laughs> so um, you beat me on the bike. <laughs> I, there you go. But um, so yeah, we'll get to we'll get to the races in a minute because I do want to talk about that. But you you were you were an active guy when I met you. So you were in your 40s, you 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 were still fit and and you also told me when I met you that you had two very young children. Yes. So you had you had your kids later in life. Yes, I did. How does that impact your ability to I mean, look, my kids are older, I have a little bit more flexibility, but but you're a pretty fit guy and you're a pretty active guy with young family. How hard is that? Um, it's hard and it's maybe in the last, you know, when they were infants, it was really, really difficult. Um, you know, I have a working wife, a full, works full time. She's a dentist, so she's out the door early in the morning. Um, so in terms of trying to find to do it, look, I'm very lucky that I own my own law practice. So on the days that I don't have to be in court and the days that I don't have a deposition, I could take that time for myself in the morning and go for a run or go, go to the gym. Um, the weekends were difficult for me to get out for a ride with you guys in the bike club. Um, actually cost me money. I was lucky enough to be able to afford to have some um, some child help. Um, so I'd get a babysitter and my, you know, my uh, bike ride cost me around 50, 60 bucks in childcare. Uh, so that's the way I was able to do it. If not, it was getting up early in the morning and trying to get to the gym you know, before my wife heads off to work um, and just trying to squeeze the time. But I will tell you in the beginning, I was gained back some weight. I was did not do my first race until my daughter was five years old okay um so it was not easy in the beginning for sure so um i told the story on an earlier podcast about how i met my trainer constance at a special spin class to make people stronger spin uh spin to make spin riders stronger outdoor riders in fact, that's where we met, right? We, yes. we met doing that class. So, Dan, how do you... So, other than bike riding and running, are there other things you do to stay fit? Yeah, and, and just really quickly, I still have constants in my head when I run and when I bike. So yeah, the, 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 the thing that's in your head is probably, go harder, go faster. <laughs> because that's usually what's in my head when I hear, when I hear constants in my head. But anyway, sure. um, yeah, so do you do other things? I mean, I, I weight train. That's really okay. it. Um, I, there are things I do want to do. I want to swim. I just find it too time consuming. Yep. For the moment, I'm lucky enough that all the body parts are letting me run. Um, so this winter, we, you know, we just talked earlier, I have not spent a lot of time on the bike. 
Um, I do have an indoor trainer, getting a new indoor trainer next week, so hopefully I'll spend a little bit more time on the bike. Um, but running is the most efficient in, uh, for me in terms of cardiovascular output and in terms of my time. And again, nothing crazy long runs, but I can go out and get a th you know, three to four mile run, get 30, 40 minutes of cardio, and I feel good. I like being outside. It, it makes me feel good. Um, and other than that, just weight training. Um, so, Dan, I am like you, but I find that at this stage of the game, you could run, you could, you could bike, you could swim, and if you don't watch what you eat, you could still put on weight. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really struggling to keep my weight under control. So, you, guy who struggled with his weight earlier in your life, like you're obviously continuing to watch your, your, your eating as well. Do you do anything special for that? I mean, one thing I just did this year in November, um, which was pretty dramatic, but it worked really well, is I did a program run by my friend Sam called Helix and Gene. Helix and Gene. Helix and Gene. G-E-N-E? Uh, G -E? Like genetics. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the Helix and Gene. Got it. Um, and the program, actually, I had my the mayor of my village had done it, and all of a sudden I saw Ed walking around looking fantastic. I'm like, hey, what'd you do? He's like, I did Sam's program. Um, another friend of mine who's an attorney who I used to see in the gym, used to see in the gym a lot, he dropped a ton of weight. And these were kind of not heavy guys. They just look incredibly fit and healthy when they finish this program. So I haven't heard of this program. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, so for me, and it varies. By the way, you don't work for these guys, do you? I You're don't. not sponsored <laughs> by these guys. I'm not, and I, paid, and I paid for the program. So okay, yeah. so. <laughs> no, but you know, it, it was an interesting thing to do, and it's a difficult thing to do, um, but it starts with a pretty dramatic cleanse, and that's, uh, for me, it was three weeks. Some people, it's almost four weeks of living on anywhere between five to 700 calories per day. This is like this is like intermittent fasting on on overload. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about intermittent fasting. Con consider considering like when I'm like spot on, I'm like seventeen, eighteen hundred calories, and I'm doing great. Yeah. So this is way less than that. Yeah, but I realized when I looked at what I was eating and how much I was eating, my breakfast was like probably fifteen hundred calories. Yeah. You know, I didn't even really think much about yep. it. Um, so I did this program. It was tough, um, but I kept telling myself it's three weeks. Anybody can do anything for three weeks. Right. Um, finished up the program, lost 20 pounds. 20 pounds in three weeks. So okay. I, put, I put myself back into my goal weight. Yep. You know, could I be sub 200? Yeah, I probably could be 195, 192. But maintaining that's going to be even really harder. And I'm not going to have quality of life. I like right. food. Yeah, uh -huh. I like food too. <laughs> okay, so you did this three week thing. You know, everyone taught, you know, look. A big guy like me, a big guy like you, doing something that intense for three weeks, you're going to lose weight. Sure. It's keeping the weight off. You yeah. said that was back in November. Yeah. So fast forward now about three, four months. Yeah. And you look great. So what you what happens after that? You know, so the the, the one, the, the amazing thing about this program is number one, I've gotten rid of a ton of desires um, and cravings. So killed I, the craving. Yep. Yeah, I really did. Like I'm, you know, like everybody else, bread is my my, you know, is my Achilles heel. Mine is cookies and ice cream. All right, or you go the other. <laughs> I was gonna say, or you go the other way, right? Sugar, right? We either have, we yeah. all have bread or, or sugar. Um, and sugar was one for me also at night. God, like after I finished up dinner and I'm sitting on the couch and the kids go to sleep, I'm Where's looking ice around, <laughs> ice cream, the kids' candy, whatever yeah. I could find. Yeah. Um, so I knocked out those cravings, which is that was really interesting. Like I don't have that desire 
for that sweet after a meal anymore. Yeah. Um, I do intermittent fasting, which again, do. I do it almost like a challenge now. Do you do it regularly? Like, do you, do you do it like seven days a week? Not seven days a week. If I work out um, in the morning, I probably eat um, two eggs and some vegetables at around 11. Okay. If I don't work out, I try to make it to one o'clock, but it almost becomes a game or a challenge because I get to 2.30 and feel okay. And I'm feeling okay at two o'clock in the afternoon, where before, if I probably had breakfast, I would still be you know, really jonesing for food around, around two o'clock in the afternoon. So that kind of metabolic change has been really, really helpful. Um, so that's been a big part of it, but I'm back to normal. If I go out for dinner with the kids and my wife, I eat a regular meal. Um, and I don't snack. And that was another place I found all these calories. I would snack like in the office. I'd keep something in the office. So after lunch, before I went home, um, I would eat something. I'd get home and while I'm cooking dinner, I'd start snacking. Um, I was probably taking in another 2,000, 1,500 calories a day in snacking. Right, right. Yeah. So good. So you did this cleanse, which, by the way, I'm going to get that information sure. from you. Yeah. And, then we're, and then you have basically been relatively disciplined yeah and and losing the cravings helps a lot because if it, so do you do you um restrict yourself from sugar now are you just not that interested or do you have a cheat day like what do you do yeah if i go out for dinner like i you know i well i'll have the bread basket i will but I, it's funny like i kind of save it for the good bread yeah um you know in places like that that's worthwhile but, but you're doing it like once a week or or, yeah. or or on an occasion versus an everyday thing yes for sure okay um and my breakfast is not you know usually i'm having eggs with, with my even if i have you know i think it's so funny if you looked at the things that you're probably eating and i'm probably eating in somewhere in the midwest where they're having mcdonald's for breakfast right um They'd be like, you're doing great. But for us being the pressure we put on ourselves, right. going to the theme of your, your talk here, um, you know, even even that wasn't good enough. We put way too much pressure on ourselves. Right. That's, a, that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. Um, so, Dan, one of the – I mentioned in the – I mentioned in the introduction to this podcast that you're the famous Dan, the New York bike lawyer. So um, I want to, before I talk about being the bike lawyer, I do want to talk about the races that we've done together. Yeah. So you, so you, I, you invited me to do a duathlon with you, which is a run, bike, run. And um, I, the first one I did with you was probably a little, three years ago? I think three years ago, yeah. So were you doing those races before that? Like is races, is racing part of your routine as well? Um, before children? Racing was, I wouldn't say part of my uh, my regular routine, but I was more competitive because I had more time. I'd run before the children. I think I ran the first six New York City half marathons, uh -huh. the inaugural one, and on all six. Yep. I'd done a bunch of series with New York Tri, so the Harriman Duathlon, a bunch of ones in Central Park. Okay. So maybe like two or three duathlons a year. Okay, so so you, you have those as kind of goals and... and, and milestones throughout the year right. almost every year um prior to children yes prior to children yeah and now again because the new york bike lawyers sponsors the duathlon down in wanto long island right? right yes and that's where we've done the races so let's talk about the new york bike lawyers so it's really rare that someone can combine their their hobby and their their fitness passion with their career yeah but you are like the uh, poster child for that. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I, that part I'm going to agree with you. I'm super lucky. 
Um, just this past, I think this was Monday, right? It was President Day. I was meeting with a new client in my office. And it's, I remember finishing up the meeting and realizing that the hour that we met, we spent 45 minutes talking about cycling. Right. And 15 minutes talking about his case. Right. So, <laughs> so let's take a step back. So you, you're an attorney mm-hmm. and um, you've done personal injury. Almost 25 years. But, you know, you are the guy who everyone I know who either has been, you know, God forbid, and I know people who have hit by a car while they're on their bike or hit by a car while they're walking the streets. You're the guy they call. And um, at least everyone I know or everyone I know who knows someone calls you. So tell me a little bit about like how that transpired and how you became that guy. Sure. Um, so I was living in New York City for most of my um, most of my life. I'm out on the island now, seven January, six years, um, and I was riding in New York City, and I had f- more and more friends that I were seeing getting struck by cabs, mostly <laughs> by mostly cabs yeah. in New York City. And remember, when I first started riding a bike in New York City, we didn't have bike lanes, right? You know, I was living in Midtown Manhattan, trying to get to Central Park, and just that was. A, a I'm not even sure the bike lanes are super safe, but with yeah. no bike lanes, it's it's a real crapshoot. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I started seeing more of my friends, unfortunately, getting hit, and I was representing them in these crashes, and just kind of saw a need out there um, for this area of focus. And it took me first in another direction. It really took me into advocacy first. Um, And I joined up with uh, the New York Bicycle Coalition and became a member of their board and started doing advocacy work. And then that kind of curtailed, or at least dovetailed, I should use the word, um, with my career and and more, you know, having more outreach to the community. And then ultimately just getting more involved and people who are involved in in these crashes being, you know, uh, asked to help them out. So... I know you have a, a short checklist that you always advise people if, if God forbid, you get you get struck by a car or you know someone who does, there's some things they should immediately be thinking about. Yeah. Why don't you remind us what they are? Yeah, I mean, I think the largest mistake I ever see are people not calling the police because cyclists and most athletes, we don't want to, we don't want to believe that we actually just got hurt. So we're going to pop up and say, I'm okay, I'm going to walk this off. And we're not going to call the police because we're going to be fine. And we get home and realize we're not so fine. And we no longer know who that car that struck us was. Or, you know, they gave us a cell phone number and they're not picking up the phone. Um, So we're calling the police. That's number one. Secondly, if you can't call the police, take a photograph of the vehicle license plate. Um, If the condition that caused your crash is a road defect, take photographs of the road defects. Anything that's transient, it's going to change, it's going to disappear. Capture that. Capture that on your phone with a photograph, whatever you have to do. If there are witnesses to the crash, grab a business card, get an email, get a phone number. Don't rely upon the police to get that information for you. Because I could tell you how many police reports I look at where the client says, oh, the police got all the information, and I get that police report, and there's nothing there to be seen. Um, you know, and, and don't be a hero. Um, you know, get yourself checked out. Go to the hospital. No fault's going to cover that bill for you. Don't worry about paying it. Get in the ambulance. A lot of people make that mistake. Um, so those are the most critical mistakes I see, really just not getting the, identifying the information right away, identifying the vehicle that's involved in the crash, securing that witness information, um, and getting that care that you need. Um, talk a little bit real quickly about your, you know, damage to your bike if you're not hurt. Um, because as a lot of people know, they call me 
You know, they could have a broken leg and they're more concerned about the Cervelo over their broken leg. I can tell you about the, <laughs> about the investments in bicycles in my garage. So, yes, I right. understand. Um, so, again, with that, you know, you want to kind of follow the same guidelines in terms of identifying that information. But with regard to the bike, like don't bring it back to the bike shop and get it fixed before the insurance company takes a look at it. Um, cheaper bikes, they don't really care. They'll take a look at a photograph of a bent wheel. But... Now I see like the more high-end bikes, um, they want to come out and take a look at it. So you don't want to repair any of that stuff beforehand. The other thing I would say is you, you do want to get it repaired. You want to get it, you, even if your bike doesn't look like it, it's, it's been damaged, get it looked at before you ride it again. Yeah. And, and, and if your helmet even touches the ground, get a new helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Those are things that I've just learned from experience riding with the group. Yeah, but with a carbon fiber bike, like some of that stuff is not obvious, but you surely don't want to be going down a, 40, down a hill at 40 miles an hour and have that frame be Snap. compromised under you. Correct. Yes, yeah, for yep. sure. Okay. Good advice. So last thing I want to cover with you, Dan, and, and so you've experienced a lot. I mean, whether it was weight change, whether it was children, whether it was maintaining your fitness throughout your adult life, and and now we've got you know your your work and your your um, hobby kind of aligning with with the bike lawyer thing. This podcast is all about you know, I use the word meeting mediocrity. Really, what it's about is kind of accepting where you are and being a little bit kind to yourself and go and and, and just keep going forward right. so i'd like to get a little bit of like dan's thoughts on kind of that kind of theme and how you would kind of tell others to be mindful of that in their journeys it's a great great topic and a really really important topic because i think we said earlier we are so cruel to ourselves um, and we should treat ourselves like we would treat our best friend, and we don't. Um, you know, I'm incredibly guilty of it, of not being a good enough father, of not being a good enough husband, of not being a good enough lawyer, of not being a strong enough athlete. Of, uh, I mean, every single day, that's what I tell myself. Um, so the one thing I've been trying to practice is just being mindful uh, and being present and sitting quietly and reminding myself that things are okay and I have everything that I need. Um, you know, I'm present, I'm healthy, I'm here. Um, my family's okay, there's a roof over their head, they're gonna have food in their bellies tonight, everybody's healthy, and just reminding myself that those are the most important priorities. Um, it's easy to say as I'm sitting here with you on the couch, right. but we're in, when we're in, in the throes of it, um, it's always hard to really remind ourselves of those important things. Um, and you're doing good. You're doing fine. We're all doing okay. We just have to stop, stop beating ourselves up. Um, and it's so easy to say it, Mitch. And I'm saying it to you, but I'm not. Con I, I have to remind myself every single day just to, to remind myself I'm good enough. Well, Dan, you know, here's the thing. It would be very easy. Look, I'm not where I want to be if I think about where I'd quote unquote want to be. You're probably not where you want to be if you thought quote unquote where you want to be. Right. But if we didn't try our best every day, we'd both be over 300 pounds. We'd both be extraordinarily sedentary. Right. And the things that we're hard on ourselves now, we'd look like superstars compared to what we could let ourselves become. So this, a lot of this is, a, this mindset is about, you know, the very simple adage of, of the glass is half full. Right. 
And I feel like if we just are a little bit kinder to ourselves and realize that the glass is half full, then we'll probably have a much better journey throughout the rest of our lives. So that's really the mindset. Yeah, and true. you're, you're, you, I admire you because you, you know, of all the things you've accomplished over the years. And I really, I'm really admire that. Look, the only reason I want to do triathlons now is because I admire you and I'm like incredibly impressed. <laughs> and and, and, and I think I'm, I think I'm a slow, pathetic, you know, fatso who's doing triathlons. So, so, so we'll be slow, pathetic, Fatso's together. That's well, all. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So there, I guess I've had some influence on someone. Thank you, you for that, you Dan. Have, you have, for sure. All right, well, thanks for coming by today, uh, Dan. I appreciate it. And uh, don't be surprised if I call you back again. We'll have some more things to talk about. I'd love to do it. I love being here. All right, Cole, take care. So let me wrap this up. To know Dan is to love him. I can tell you firsthand that Dan is as positive a person and possibly even more positive of a person than I am. At least that's been my experience with him. His law firm sponsors the Brands Duathlon in Wantaw, Long Island every spring and fall. I've done that race three times with Dan, and yes, he has beaten me every time. But it's always a day I look forward to. The entire race lasts about an hour, so it's not some long endurance event. But we always have a great time pre-race and definitely post-race. I always enjoy the post-race bagels and peanut butter that we earn by racing hard. I had really also admired that Dan had a mediocre moment in college after downing 13 cheeseburgers when he said, enough of being fatty Dan. And while he did something about it, it has not been without struggles and challenges along the way. That's what the journey's all about. But he, But Dan has, in my mind created a successful life journey for himself that keeps him focused and has kept him from ever becoming Fatty Dan again. I am looking forward to participating in many more activities with Dan and maybe one day even beating him in a race one day. So finally, if you enjoyed the Meet Mediocrity podcast, please subscribe and please tell a friend. And please follow our daily posts on at Meet Mediocrity on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And may I please ask a favor. If you like our posts, please like them back, comment on them, share them with your friends. And finally, until next time, this has been your host, Mediocre Mitch, wishing you to stay happy, stay positive, Please stay healthy, keep smiling, and 